Hey, this is Pastor Spencer with Racine Bible Church. You're listening to a sermon from a Sunday morning. Uh, on a serious note, my heart's kind of heavy when I see that. Uh, I feel like that mindset has infiltrated the American church. Uh, I titled today's message, I got mine. I know where I'm going. Yeah, you can go to hell, but I got mine. And all heaven just weeps. And that's how the world sees Christians. Oh, you're better than me because you get to go to heaven and I'm, I lose. I'm going to hell and you don't care. And as bad as it is being infiltrating the American church, I sense in some measure it's infiltrated our church. Uh, the danger of a good Bible preaching, teaching church is we can have ours and literally to hell with everybody else. And as bad as that is, I want to really focus in on each of you brothers and sisters. Are you guilty of that at all? Not loving people? Not caring about where they're going to go? I chose a passage of scripture today we're going to look at in a minute, but I just want to bring us back. Do you remember how excited you were when God saved you? When you first got saved, I do. I remember being able to personalize John 3.16 for God so loved Wayne that he gave his only son that if Wayne would believe in him, Wayne won't perish, but Wayne has eternal life. Remember putting your name in there when you got saved and remember how excited you were and you couldn't wait to tell everybody else and it wasn't too far after that when you realized that the three that you served became the three enemies of your life, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And you realize those three enemies were warning you, shut up about Jesus, be quiet. You can have your thing, but you be quiet. And the world system, you'll lose your job if you talk about Jesus at work. Your flesh, people aren't gonna like me as much. I'm not gonna be the cool guy if I talk about Jesus. And then the devil hates Jesus and the last person he wants you to talk about is the Lord Jesus Christ. And you experience that opposition and you quickly realized Somewhere you just decided it's easier, and it is, and safer, it is, just to come to church, listen to a good Bible message, and try real hard to be a good person. And you wind up like putty in that video. I got mine. I got mine. Ought not be. You see, one of the dangers of a Bible-preaching church like ours, which is the best church in town in my estimation, is we can become like a sponge and just take in good teaching and good teaching. And I'm going to go hear more good teaching. I'm going to listen to sermons during the week. And I'm for all that. And I do all that. But we come like a sponge taking it all in. And we have sponges at our house just like you have at your house. And have you ever noticed the sponge? Uh, it's great for washing dishes and uh, countertops but it needs to be squeezed out. No matter how pure or how clean the liquid that goes into that sponge, if you let it sit out for a couple days and you don't squeeze it out, what happens? You all know. It gets nasty and stinky. And I've even had the uh, opportunity to touch a sponge afterwards and it makes your hands stinky. It just kind of spreads. I'm afraid there's some stinky Christians in this room because you haven't been squeezed out. You've been loading up with good teaching 
and you're just getting full and God wants to squeeze us out into a lost world and love them in Jesus' name. But we don't want to because it's going to be hard. And what do you do with that sponge? You got to throw it out because it's worthless. Praise God, he doesn't throw out his children when they get stinky. He changes them. And I'm here to proclaim to you that Jesus changes people. And you don't stay that way. And God makes us different. And we're going to read a couple of disciples of Jesus 2,000 years ago who were getting pretty stinky. And God changed them and changed them on the inside. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 9. I also printed it out in your bulletin if you want to follow along there. But we're in Luke chapter 9 today, starting in verse 51. I'll read the passage to us, then I'll pray and ask the Lord to really speak to our hearts as we go through it. And if any of you heard me preach before, I'll just do a Bible study. We're just going to look at these verses and we'll make some comments as we go along and we'll let the Word do the work. Starting in verse 51 of Luke chapter 9, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem and he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. Verse 53, but the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. And when his disciples James and John saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them, and they went on to another village. Will you pray with me? Lord, I do not want to tickle ears this morning. I want to see my brothers and my sisters changed. I want to see you make individuals in this room more loving through the next half hour or 40 minutes we're in your text. I don't have that power, Lord. I can yell at him, I can preach to him, I can do all that, but you need to change your heart. I don't have that power to even change my own heart. So I pray in the strong name of your beautiful son, Jesus, Father, that your Holy Spirit would come and he would speak and your word, which is living and active, would change us just like it changed me as I studied. In your name I pray, amen. <clears throat> well, like I said, we're in Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 51, you can see the verses in front of you. Uh, let me read it again, starting in verse 51. When his days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. Little backdrop, Luke is writing, and for the first two and a half years of Jesus' life are all in these first nine chapters. And this is the turning point of the book of Luke. The last half year of his life are all going to be spent in chapter 9 all the way to the finish. So this is a turning, pivotal turning point uh, all before Jesus is coming and now he is getting ready to leave and go back to heaven. And he deals with the last six months of his life. And uh, it says there, it says he was to be taken up. I love that. It doesn't say he was going to die. Yes, Jesus was going to cross to die. But Luke had a victorious outlook. He says he was going to be taken up. And as we know, not only did he die on the cross, he rose from the dead. So we see he was uh, near for him to be taken up. And what did Jesus do? He set his face. And uh, that term is meant to be resolute. It's on. I'm not going back. I'm going to where? He's go to go to Jerusalem. Uh, why Jerusalem? Why was Jesus going to Jerusalem? Well, this disciples thought he was going to Jerusalem for one reason, but he's really going for another reason. The disciples thought he was going to Jerusalem to be crowned the king of kings. He was going to overthrow Rome. There was going to be much glory. There was visions of grandeur floating in all the disciples' heads. This is going to be awesome. Finally, he's been healing people, raising people from the dead. Now we're going to Jerusalem. We're going to overthrow the government, and we're going to be 
uh, in charge now, and this is going to be great. Uh, we know that because right before in the book of Luke, they were arguing, who's going to be the greatest? Man, I'm going to be his right-hand man. No, I'm going to be his right-hand man. No, he loves me more. And they were arguing about this, thinking, man, he's going to be crowned. And they were wrong. The reality is Jesus was going to Jerusalem to suffer. And that same face that was set would be slapped and punched and spit on for you and for me. Our courageous Savior went forward towards what? Towards friends' betrayal, towards an unjust trial, towards mocking, ultimately to be crucified, and the wrath of God would be poured out on Jesus for me and for you. And it says he set his face to go there. He was resolute. Uh, I haven't told anybody this, but this Friday I'm going to an oral surgeon to get some work done on my mouth. And uh, I got to tell you, I'm not that resolute to go there on Friday. And uh, the oral surgeon is a Christian. He actually likes me. And I know he's going to do a great job. They're even going to give me anesthesia. But I'm still not that excited about going. And Jesus knew where he was going. He was going to face his enemies who were going to mock and kill him. And he went there. He went with his face set to Jerusalem for me and for you. Well, the next verse, verse 52, and he sent messengers ahead of him. So they're getting ready to go and they're going... And he sends messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. So Jesus is like, man, I got this big entourage. We need to send some uh, guys up ahead to tell these people, hey, make room. We're going to be eating at your restaurants, staying at your inns. So he sends these people to the village of the Samaritans. Now that's key. The Samaritans, if you don't know... Uh, were Jews who had intermarried years before Assyrians, and those were pagan God followers. So some of these Jews intermarried these Assyrians, and they didn't stick to the Jewish uh, religion. They kind of made a mishmash of their own. So it was a mix of Judaism and paganism, and the Jews hated the Samaritans, and the Samaritans hated the Jews. It was Prejudice 101 was going on at that time. It's interesting, as I studied this, yes, the Jews hated the Samaritans, and the Samaritans hated the Jews, but Jesus loved them all. He wasn't for one or the other. Jesus is for the world. And a good Jew would never cross into Samaria. It would make them ceremonially unclean. But Jesus had made a point to go through there before. Do you remember the woman at the well in John chapter 4? That was in the city of Samaria. And uh, Jesus was teaching the disciples, when I go somewhere, I don't become unclean. They become clean. I change people. Even if they're unclean, I make them clean. You see, Jesus had no human boundaries like we set up. Jesus is for the whole wide world. And we see in the scriptures, Jesus was for little children. A lot of people weren't. Jesus was for women of ill repute. Many people weren't. Jesus was for tax collectors. Many people weren't. Jesus was for Gentiles. And Jesus was even for misguided Samaritans. You see, Jesus loves the world, and the disciples didn't get that yet. And the Jews would have said something like, hey, Jesus, we shouldn't go there. They're doing it wrong. And Jesus would have responded, so are you. Lose the religious pride. Let's love them so we can show them about me, and they can be transformed like you are. Well, verse 53, but the people did not receive him takes a bad turn here. The Samaritans didn't receive him. Why didn't they receive him? Verse 53 tells us why. Because his face was set towards Jerusalem. So the Samaritans like, we hate you guys. Get out of here. You can't stay in our town. 
you see, their problem was Jesus and the disciples were going to worship the one true God in Jerusalem. And the Samaritans thought true worship was on their mountain. We, we worship on Mount Gerizim. And uh, we got our temple, we got our priests. Now, the Samaritans were wrong, but in all honesty, they really believed they were right. They weren't trying to pick a fight to pick a fight's sake. They really thought they were right. I even read somewhere that some Jews were actually killed before this time, entering and trying to go to Jerusalem through Samaria. So this was, it was a big deal. It wasn't to Jesus, but it was a big deal. And in verse 54, it kind of hits a climax. 54, well, when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? Well, now we need to stop on this verse for a little bit. Uh, first of all, James and John were nicknamed sons of thunder. That's what Jesus had called them because they snapped on a dime. Their anger just flared up like nothing. And I think if you would have known James and John at this time, they said, hey, that's how God wired me. Yeah, well, guess what? God rewires people. You don't get to stay the way you are when you come to Jesus. And this was a teaching moment for these two guys. Uh, yes, the Samaritans were bad, they were sinful, they were evil, they were rejecting Jesus and his people, they're doing evil things, they were wrong. And I'm here to tell you, unsaved people will do wrong things. And it's not our responsibility to be the judge, jury, and executioner of them. Jesus was teaching them to love them. So the disciples see it, and James and John say, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? Note he doesn't say Jesus, can you send down fire from heaven to warn them and scare them? It's like, no. Kill them and damn them. I got mine. To hell with those guys. Horrible. And I thought, before we beat up James and John, I thought about in 2020, as Christians, what are some people groups that turn us from loving Christians into sinful. So I wrote down, in honor of our 1990s throwback with Seinfeld, I'm going to go to our top 10 list. If any of you know uh, David Letterman, he had these top 10 lists. So I wrote my top 10 uh, people groups that turn us sinful as Christians. Number 10, sleazy televangelists who are trying to get people's money on the TV. It's interesting, I just read about eight months ago, Benny Hinn, one of the kings of trying to get people's money, the charlatan, his nephew became a Christian and his nephew was witnessing, witnessing, witnessing to Benny. And Benny Hinn, about six months ago, repudiated all his ways. It seems like the Lord has gotten a hold of Benny Hinn. But have you seen televangelists and say, man, God, judge them, send them to hell. Number nine, top 10 things, smug Hollywood celebrities who, who promote opposite values. I just saw a woman win an award uh, this past week and she was saying she gave all the glory to abortion. She had an abortion earlier. That's why she was the woman she was. Makes us flustered. Do we get to be like James and John and say, hey, send down fire from heaven, consume them. Number eight, radical Muslims who want to kill us. Number seven, foreigners who don't speak English or look like us, yet take our American jobs. I've heard Christians say that. Shameful, shameful. Number five, unethical business people who succeed over, over us, who's trying to do it right. Do you ever get so frustrated trying to make it honestly, and you see the uh, wicked people get ahead and you want to see them judged and damned? Number four, gay people, gay pride parade. That really frustrates me. And I get so angry like James and John. Number three, Abortion doctors killing defenseless little babies. 
Do we want to see those doctors won to Jesus so they can be transformed and win the world for Christ, or we just want to be done with them? Damn them. Number two, now we're going to get a little closer to home, that coworker who annoys you. And you know who I'm talking about, even as I say that. You're going to see him tomorrow. You don't want to tell him about Jesus. You'd rather God just be done with them. And top 10 groups that turn us sinful, I'd have to say number one, I thought about this a lot, number one opposite people groups that we want to see fire come down from heaven are people who think the opposite of what we think of Donald Trump. No matter what side you're on, it seems like the, we hate the other side. So I'm not choosing sides here. I just noticed that it seems like good Christians turn like James and John and want the other people to be hurt badly. Well, verse 35, we can finish this passage. It says, but he turned. You can think of Jesus' head when he hears James and John say, let's, let's damn him. And his head just yanks, it says here in the text. But he turned and rebuked them. Notice he didn't rebuke the Samaritans for not letting him in. He rebuked his disciples. And they went on to another uh, village. So verse 35, I just, or uh, 55, I just want to point out Jesus had to say to these guys, man, you don't get it. If I destroy and damn sinners, you would be destroyed and damned too. I'd have to start with you guys. I didn't come to send fire on people, but to be consumed by God's fire in their place. You see, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to die on a cross. I'm having God punish me so I don't have to punish those Samaritans. So boys, I get your zeal, but you're way off. We're here to love people. We're not here to crucify them. I'm going to be crucified in their place. That's the whole message. That's 1,500 pages of the Bible in four short words. Jesus took my place. I'm here to take the Samaritans' place too, even though they irritate you, even though you're enemies. We're going to love our enemies, and we're going to do good to those who persecute us, boys. Well, we could end there, but uh, that leave us pretty heavy. And I told you at the front end, Jesus changes people, and he did change James and John. So... Uh, as Paul Harvey would say, and now the rest of the story. Uh, many of you came out of ABFs just now, and you would have read Acts chapter 1, and uh, we see the elixir to that is Jesus dying on the cross and rising from the dead and going to heaven. Martin Luther King Jr. said this. He says, darkness does not drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Praise God, Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus changes people. Is he changing you? Acts 1.8 says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and wait for it, wait for it, and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus is telling his guys right before in Acts 1.9, he gets raised up to heaven. He's telling his guys, I'm going to heaven. I'm going to send my Holy Spirit. He's going to empower you to love people, even the Samaritans. And I'm here to tell you, boys, they're going to make some great Christians once I get a hold of them. We fast forward to Acts chapter 8. If you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 8. That'll be the last passage of Scripture we look at. Acts chapter 8, uh, chapter 1, Jesus gives their marching orders. And chapter 8 is about a year later. Persecution occurs and all the disciples scatter. And Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 4, says this. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. So... Uh, they're preaching in Jerusalem, Judea, and now they get scattered out to Samaria. And it says in verse 5 of Acts chapter 8, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. 
Now, Philip was not one of the 12 apostles. Philip was just a regular guy who got saved and fell in love with Jesus and said, I'll go. I want to tell more people about Jesus. I'll even go to the hard places. I'll go to the Samaritans. And it reminded me of there's a young lady in our ABF named Angela D'Elia who God saved her five years ago. And she's just been falling deeper and deeper in love with Jesus. And there's a woman's Bible study. She's like, I want to start another one. I want to get more women to love Jesus. So she started a Monday night Bible study, not through the church, just kind of her own grassroots effort. And last Friday, she did something crazy. She's like, let's have a worship night. And she announced it to all the churches in town. And we're just going to meet at a neutral location. We're just going to sing to the Lord. They had 104 women show up on Friday night in the inner city to worship Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. And here's Philip, verse five. He just goes to the city of Samaria and starts preaching the gospel. Jesus suffered on the cross. He died for you. He rose again. He's alive. If you'll repent and trust him, you too can be saved. So Philip goes down there to Samaria where the Jews didn't want to go. Philip was a Jew. He says, I'm going anyways. And he proclaims to them the Christ. Verse six, chapter eight. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. Here it is, verse eight. So there was much joy in that city. All I could think about is what if James and John's prayer was answered and those people were destroyed Instead, a year later, many of them got saved, and there's great joy in that city. Skip down to Acts 8.25. That'll be our last verse. So news gets back to Jerusalem, the home base of the early church, and they say, you won't believe this. God's saving Samaritans now. So they send two of the leaders of the church, Peter and our guy John. James had been uh, killed already for his faith. So now John's paired up with Peter. And the two of them go down and Acts 8.25 says this. Now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem. Here it is. Preaching the gospel to the many villages of the Samaritans. They weren't preaching the gospel of fire from heaven, you go to hell, but forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name. You see, Jesus changed John and made him a loving disciple. You see, Jesus changes people. Jesus changed James and John, and he wants to change you today, too, from being a critical, judgmental person who hates your enemy to a, a man or a woman who says, I got mine, and I want other people to get theirs, too. So I don't want to leave it in, two, in the year uh, AD 31. I want to bring up two men, so I have a real-life story we're going to finish our time with. Uh, John Gillett and Kai Cooper, would you come up, please? As they come up, John and Kai are air, air traffic controllers. Kai uh, and John both worked in Milwaukee. And John, you probably all know John. John's been coming to our church for over 20 years. And Kai's been coming to our church for about four, year, four months. Uh, so take it away, John. Okay, so like Wayne said, many of you know me from 20 plus years here at the Racine Bible Church. And most people know that I was an air traffic controller. But probably not everybody knows that I got a phone call back last March and the district asked me to go up to Milwaukee to be the manager on a temporary uh, position for six months up there. And it's not really how it normally goes, so I just kind of felt like God was doing something. And so um, I just started praying to God that, uh, that beyond what I could do for the facility from a work standpoint, that I would just be able to um, just show Christ's love, um, to love on these people, to be the light of Christ, and to make a difference, not in, in work, but in people's lives. So mm -hmm. <clears throat> I got up there, um, 
My main focus was to get to know everybody. Uh, there's about 60 people total, not just air traffic controllers, but tech ops people, office people. And I didn't want to just know their names, but I wanted to know about them. I wanted to get their backgrounds and what their story was at home. And so I wanted them to come see me. So um, I did everything almost on a daily basis. I, I begged people to come to my office and, and just stop in and talk to me for a few minutes. I actually bought a couple of jars of candy, tried to draw people in that way. <laughs> I would go, anything I could do to get people to come and, and talk to me and sit down. And um, God opened uh, some doors. It was great. I had opportunity to share and to pray with people, to learn about. Uh, I prayed for people. I know uh, one person lost her brother while I was up there to cancer. Um, there was uh, one that was already divorced. Uh, somebody that was trying to keep from being divorced. Um, two people were getting married. Uh, kids that had health issues that they were dealing with and just show Christ's love and show that, that I cared. It wasn't a judgment. Uh, they could share anything they want, open door, closed door, but it was just to, to build relationships mm -hmm. and to share the Lord. So um, <clears throat> one of them happened to be Kai um, early on. I was able to take him and others out to uh, lunch and get to know him better. So I was able to get to know Kai's story, and I'll let him share his story. But the bottom line is, in the end, I realized that, uh, um, like everybody, that this, uh, this needed, he needed to meet my Savior. <laughs> so Wayne asked me to prepare something to say. He gave me two minutes. Um, I took some liberties. It's about four and a half. <laughs> The last time I spoke was uh, to a group, or the last time I spoke to a group was to my, at my son's funeral on July 21st, 2018. On that dark day, I read a letter I had written to my son, in part telling him how I took comfort knowing he was in heaven. The scary truth is, at that point, I was not certain. My journey for the last year and a half has been anything but easy. It's been marked with debilitating panic attacks, depression, marital issues, and instability at work. But something incredible happened last July. God cleared my path to salvation, giving me faith in Jesus Christ, who shouldered my burden. I'm not saying that all my life uh, circumstances turned around, but my life not, um, and my life is now perfect or anything like that. But with effort, I'm able to stay close to Jesus, who raises me above my circumstances and gives me comfort and joy. Today, I want to tell you a little bit about the journey and specifically hone in on John's part. But first, let me quickly back up. The seeds were sown as a child growing up in a Bible-believing church. As I became a teenager, my innocence was replaced with worldly desire and sin. And as I drifted from the church, the next 20 or so years was spent living for the world in sin, with Christ as an afterthought at most. But then tragedy struck, shaking my world. After Jimmy passed away, my lust for the world was dulled and my thoughts towards Christ became prevalent. However, they were pragmatic, surrounded by doubt and unbelief. In my desperation, for relief, I made the practical decision to attend church. This was one of the many practical solutions I explored as I journeyed through grief. Out of the decision to attend church, something crucial to my salvation happened. I began to pray. Specifically, I prayed for faith. This continued for many long, painful months. God answered my prayer by putting John in my life. He was sent to Milwaukee as a temporary manager of the facility I work at and had been there for about two months at this point. John reached out to me and invited me to Bible study. It was a Tuesday morning and I had just hit bottom. It's not that John's timing was perfect and he somehow knew how bad I was hurting that day, but instead it was that John, John was patient 
and his gentle persistence. See, this wasn't the first time that John invited me to Bible study. In fact, as a short time as my boss, he had taken me to lunch several times, prayed with me, and re repeatedly invited me to study. But this time was different. This time God left me with no response other than to say yes. John's presence in my life was an act of selfless kindness and love. He is a man that was in a place with all new people in an environment that he know, knew too well is dominated by type A personalities and ego. This is a place where religion is seldom discussed, and in my experience, only done so flippantly. Hmm. But John was different. He was sincere and compassionate and unafraid to speak of the Lord. He took the time to get to know me, not the employee, but the person, and to boldly share Christ with me. And for this, I'm eternally grateful. That Tuesday night, I was introduced to a church, and I don't mean a building with a steeple, but rather a pole barn full of John Gillets, who were more than eager to share with me the Lord, pray for me, and love me. This is a place where the Lord met with me personally and changed my life in indescribable ways. That night before leaving, I sat under the stars and I left a voicemail with my estranged wife. I told her I'm not sure what just happened, but something powerful had happened and I needed to talk about it. On that night, my soul was saved. In short order, God changed me, washing my sins, easing my burden, calming my anxiety, and granting me peace. I don't consider this the end of my journey, but rather the start of an exciting new adventure, one in which the Lord is at the helm and a church full of Johns are at the ready for when I go adrift. I have been given this incredible gift of salvation. I now not only have the confidence that my son Jimmy is alive in heaven, but also have the assurance that I will someday be with him. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> now as we close, there's nothing special about John. It's the one who lives inside of him is the special one. And John did one thing and one common denominator I've seen of every person that's become a Christian that I've seen, love. People took time to love him. They didn't just give him a Bible track. They took time to love him. And you heard in the testimony, John reached out to him, prayed with him, took him out to eat, prayed with him some more, and loved him. And you have the exact same opportunity tomorrow when you go to your job or when you go to school. So I'll end with 1 Corinthians 13. It's a very famous passage. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13 is the love chapter. And it says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. So what that's saying is you can be the best preacher in the world and you want to tell people about Jesus? That's what you are if you don't love people according to the Bible. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I'm a noisy gong. That's what people are hearing if you're not loving them as you tell them about Jesus or a clanging cymbal. You can be a great public speaker, you can know it all, and you're going to be a loud gong. In verse 2, if I have the prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge and I, have not, and I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. God says you're nothing. You can know all the Bible stories. You can have all the Bible knowledge. You can have more faith than everybody else. But if you don't love people, the Bible says you're nothing. And then verse three, if I give away all I have and I deliver up my body to be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing. 
You can do every good work under the sun. You can serve them like crazy, but if you don't love people, you're nothing according to the Bible. So I'm going I'm to close this service now with a response song. I'm going to close it by us praying. So will you bow your head and close your eyes? And I want you to go one-on-one with the Father right now and talk to him and pray that he would change you in 2020, that he would take away your apathy for people or your, even worse, your anger towards people and replace it with a supernatural love. You can't do this on your own. So take a moment and pray and I'll close us out in prayer. To find out more about our ministry, contact us at racinebible.org. Thank you for listening.